What do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting, and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. I want to welcome you to this version of the Niche Finder podcast. You know, one thing I can just let you into a quick little secret for the community that's listening in right now. Um, I, I typically do warm up sessions with uh, with our guests and um, the guests that I have today. You know, it was it, it, it's one of those things where as the man speaks, nuggets just fall out of his mouth. And I'm like, well, OK, wait a minute. We got to stop this. <laughs> we need to stop this right now uh, because I need to hit record. And I'm just very excited to have DP. Knutin <laughs> on the show today and um you know what he has such he, he is a, he's a motivator uh he's a speaker he is a copy editor and and you know what he's a dog lover and we we're just glad to have him on this show today and uh by way of this introduction we just want to make you welcome to the program and thanks so much dp for being a part of this program welcome well thank you clifton i mean i'm really happy to be on this podcast especially because based on our little pre-interview thing we're on the same page, man. <laughs> Just about everything when yes, it comes sir. to to building who you are, what you do, and how you do it in a way that can really be understood by your best audiences. So what do you consider to be your niche? Well, my big niche is uh, the creative side of the fence, if you will, meaning... I've worked at ad agencies for 30 or just around 30 years on the creative side. You know, you've got the account side. They're the ones who deal with the clients. And then you got the creative guys who are creating the ideas, the, hey, what if we got, huh, what about this? You know, the, the really original concepts that ideally move people and product, meaning that they move people emotionally that lead them to purchase it, to buy the product or service. So I've always been on that side, creating the stories, the communications, everything from outdoor boards to radio spots, TV commercials, you name it. And now, especially with social media, boy, talk about a, a, a multiplicity of channels. Every one of those channels has subtle variances that makes it even more important to align the right communication with the right channel. So that's what I do. I, and the other side of the things I do is I help people discover, craft, and communicate what I like to call their completely true, completely you brand that they already are. You know, and a lot of people talk about personal branding. I totally believe in it. But uh, my take on it is you can build a false or fictional personal brand that's based on, you know, some image that you aspire to, or you can embrace the one you already are, which is your completely true, truthful, authentic, genuine personal brand. And the hardest thing about that is getting out of your own way so you can identify the key things that you need to communicate. So that's where I help people there. Excellent. Why would the audience have a vested interest in your journey? Well, because um, I've made some mistakes and it's always better to learn from other people's mistakes before the, they do them themselves. And 
You might ask me, well, what mistakes did you do in your career? And the answer is, I kept my head down and I worked my butt off anonymously. And let me put it this way. Every ad agency has a creative department. In that creative department, they're the ones who come up with the ideas and, you know, that make the fun stuff. You know, it's always the fun stuff. Well, I was really good at that. I was like an engine, right? I'm, I'm cranking every day, churning out all these great ideas. Hopefully they're great. Some of them aren't. I'll be honest with you. Some days you just don't have it. But, you know, you, with enough at-bats, you become pretty good. Your batting average, is, especially if you're learning every time you go out there, you get better and better and better and better. So over my career, I'm doing that, but I'm doing it kind of anonymously, you know, the clients that I do it for, they know me, they like me, they, we, uh, we get along great. But eventually, if you live long enough, you reach what I like to call your X years. X as in mm. EX. So what does that mean? Well, you reach the point in your career where you're an expert. You've developed a, a, a demonstrable expertise over your career. You're excellent at what you do, and the people who work directly with you recognize that. You're expensive because you've been around long enough where those annual raises or bonuses and stuff like that start raising you up the pay grade, and then you become expendable, which is the worst one, because if you don't have your name on the door of the agency or the business... It's not yours and you can be replaced like a commodity cog anytime because that's exactly what you are. If I'm just a advertising copywriter, guess what? There are 100,000 advertising copywriters out there. I'm no different than any other one. If I am a renowned and recognized advertising copywriter who has specialized in a specific area or niche, then I'm much more valuable. And even if the agency needed to get rid of me because I am expendable, what happens mm -hmm. is, and this does happen, the day you let go, all of a sudden, their worst competitor calls you up and says, hey, we'd like to talk to you because are you available? I heard you just got <laughs> let go by our worst competitor. Maybe we'd like to pick you up. Right. Why? Because we know exactly who you are, what you do, and how you do it. We recognize your expertise and experience, and we want that. Does that happen? Why, yes, it does. Hmm. Uh, what, what internal struggles did you find yourself up against at the start of your journey? Well, at the very beginning, uh, on the creative side, again, because I am that writer, creative hmm. communicator, and copywriter... Uh, I was a big one that it has to be my idea. It, it, it I, I don't know if you play sports or uh, you use this term, but when I was growing up, if we were playing football or soccer or whatever, there were people we would call a ball hog. They would hog the ball. Mm -hmm. They would keep it to themselves. They wouldn't pass. They wouldn't share. They, they wanted it all themselves all the time. And I'll be honest with you. I was kind of a creative ball hog. I wanted the idea to be 100% mine. The reality is, especially when you want to do creative work, you need to have people working with you that bring their own sensibility and their skills and their capabilities to make it better. So in, you know, Walt Disney was the one who kind of coined the, the idea that uh, about plussing, where someone creates something and someone else pluses it, it adds to it. They, they make it better through addition. And at the beginning, I was like, no, it has to be all mine. And what I learned was, no, my best becomes better when someone who's better at what they do than what I do. You know, like, uh, for instance, I work with art directors. Writers work with art directors or graphic designers. There's a reason I'm not a graphic designer. I'm pretty good at discerning what typography is better than other typography. I'm okay with color palette and color choice and stuff like that, but I recognize that there are art directors who have far better taste when it comes to typography, when it comes to photography, when it comes to color choice and stuff like that. Why would I limit the quality of my work to my taste when it comes to those things 
when I can work with someone who's demonstrably excellent at all those things. Mm. If I work with them, my A idea becomes an A plus idea or an A plus plus idea. Why wouldn't I do that? At the beginning of my career, I said, it all has to be me. Where I am now is I want to work with the very best people at what they do because they're going to make my stuff even better. Mm. You know, I was listening to a talk by John Maxwell the other day and, you know, he's like the leadership guru. And he, one thing he was talking about was the importance of diversity in teams. And he says that it actually makes not only the team stronger, but it makes the leader stronger. Uh, it kind of ties back to something that he talks about in his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. He says, as long as a person doesn't know what he doesn't know, he doesn't grow. And so when it came down to your journey, um, I, I hear about the struggles that you were going through. But what roadblocks did you find yourself up against? Mostly they were in my head. You mm-hmm. know, they're the, they're the self-imposed obstacles that, you know, uh, a lot of people will talk about the internal editor or internal critic. Yeah, that exists. And my wife likes to say, you're never satisfied. And the answer is, yeah, I'm never satisfied (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I'm never satisfied. I'm constantly. And this is one of the things I I came to understand. No, it is a superpower. If you're never satisfied is viewed as, oh, you're you'll never be happy. Then it becomes this negative navel gazing. You're never going to succeed, etc. Flip that coin over. You're never satisfied means you're working harder. You're looking for better ideas. You're not going to accept, uh, this is good enough. And even some days where you have to accept that, uh, that's the best I could do and it has to be done today. I'm still not happy with it. Mm-hmm. Well, that just means you care. Right. So all of a sudden that when I call it a superpower, I really mean it. You can turn your internal editor from a downer to an upper because Take a look at uh, athletic organizations that use coaches. Mm -hmm. Do those coaches, are they there to crush your soul? Or are they there to make you better through honest critique and help and energy and inspiration? To some people, the coach is a downer who's trying to uh, crush my soul. Mm. Off the team then. You'll never be happy. But you know, you look who uh, Coach Shashevsky just retired, right? The right. renowned basketball coach. And you talk to some of his players, and some of them hated him, but most of them are like, no, I'm as good as I am because he right. made me be better than I am. Right. So right. I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk that you'll never be happy to a superpower that actually helps me out every single day. And, you know, I think you even alluded to this when you first started out. I mean, what you see in your terminology and the people that you work with as mining and and and, and distilling in that process. You know, I have a similar or parallel thing, which has to do more so with excavating the value one has and it liken liken it to, you know, um, drilling for oil and refining it. And I, and there is something about that middle piece. What you what for you is a distillation process. For me, is a refinery. It, it is it is the um, the excavation and what I call in my book, the life cycle of excavation. There's something about iterating your way through whatever issue that you find yourself up against, because then it really put for you in your situation, brings out the purity. It gets rid of the impurities in, in the gold or whatever you're mining. And for me, it just increases the octane in the individual. And I think that that is so valuable when you start to talk about it. Sometimes people don't give, they give up, but persistence, uh, tenacity, dogged determination, all of those things are quite often linked to people of great success, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, is, it, it goes hand in hand, but it's not always intuitive to know that, you know, man, I want to be like, like such and such, or I, will, I see myself being ex- in, in in a much bigger, you know, uh, position or better situation. But I'm up against this thing. Well, that thing could be the refinery that you yep. need to go through in order to truly appreciate the um, wh- where where you get to. Um, Fred Smith actually said Zig Ziglar quoted Fred Smith, and he said, "The, the food you grow in a valley is what you will eat on a mountaintop." 
And so that is part of the things that we just need to throw into our statue. So I, I, I appreciate you giving, giving voice to that. Did you have any mentors along the way? I, it, it's funny cause, um, I'm a real big do it yourself guy. Okay. I'm, I'm an experiential learner, do it mm. yourself, discover things yourself. But there were a couple of key people, uh, there when I was in high school, I, I, I did, uh, theater, you know, I was in plays okay. and stuff. And at our, the high school I went to, we had two directors and it was well recognized by everybody that one director was kind of the A plus director and the other was a, a C plus director. I'm, you know, she did nice plays and stuff, but they were like high school plays. Mm. The A plus director, when you saw her shows, they were like professional and it uh, even to this day, her reputation was, oh my God, go see that, that high school show and you will feel like you just saw a Broadway show because wow. she was, whew, she was a task master. She was someone who literally would make you be better. And just by watching her and how sometimes she could be a little bit uh, rough, a little bit um, sandpapery, but that's yeah. what happens. She was using sandpaper on people to make them smoother. You know, sometimes mm. you need a little bit of roughing up to be able to to get people <laughs> smooth to those be, edges <laughs> to achieve their potential. And right, just right. like a, a football coach that has to grab someone by their face mask every once in a while to get their attention, right. she right. would do the same thing to a certain extent. You know, not physically, but certainly emotionally just right. to to get you out of your head mm. and into the game that we were creating in theater. So she was one. And another one was a guy I literally met three times when I started my career in advertising. I uh long story short, there's an ad agency in Chicago that put out an ad in the Chicago Reader, which is like a alternative weekly magazine or newspaper mm. that comes out once a week. Back page had a picture of an old Macintosh computer, the very first one with the small screen. And it had a headline that said, write if you won't work. And then eight writing assignments around it and some body copy that said, there are a lot of creative people in uncreative jobs. Have you ever thought about being, being an advertising copywriter? And I, I saw that and I remembered it and went, oh, that's interesting because I've always wondered about that. You know, I grew up watching Bewitched, the TV show where Darren Stevens, the the father of uh, he worked mm -hmm. at an ad agency. And I was like, that's a job. That's kind of cool. He came up with slogans and headlines. And that's interesting. I also watched uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. He was a comedy writer. And, and for a TV show, it's like, that's a job. To be a writer who writes jokes for a TV show, that's interesting. So I packed that in my mind. And frankly, I, I moved to Denver, Colorado to ski and backpack and do all my or outdoorsy stuff because I'm a kind mm -hmm. of an outdoorsy guy. Mm -hmm. And I remembered that ad as I was at a dead end temp job. It, it was it was just a, you know, it was a job to get a paycheck and I needed to start a career. And I remembered that ad and I kind of social engineered the reader to send me or to fax me out a copy of the ad because there was no email back then 30 years ago. And they did. They faxed me out a copy of the ad. I did the writing assignments and then I went to the yellow pages again, no Google back then. Mm -hmm. I went to the yellow pages, looked up ad agencies and then sent out eight packets of the, the, the uh, actual assignments that were in the mm -hmm. ad to the creative department of these ad agencies that I didn't even know. I, I did it based on the size of their ad in the yellow pages. Well, out of those eight shots in the dark, I got one response that was a thanks, no thanks letter. Mm -hmm. And then I got a, a phone call from the creative director of what was then the largest agency in Denver saying, Hey, I don't have a job for you, but I think you've got talent. Why don't you come in and talk to me? This guy, Jim right. Dean, is his name. He was the creative director at Carson Hagen Advertising in, in Denver, Colorado. I don't even know if that still exists anymore. I'm not, I'm not sure he's even alive. I'm not, I don't know. But I met with him a couple of times 
And he said, well, you need, you need to put a book together. And I'm like, what's a book? I, I'm, I, I read books, but you mean something else. He's, it's a portfolio of samples of ideas and ads and writing and stuff like that. So when you do that, come back and we'll talk and I'll tell you, give you my two cents on that stuff. So I came back within two weeks with a whole bunch of new stuff because I was determined to impress him and make him give me a job. And he said, wow, you called quickly. That's good. Well, uh, that's good. That's been done. Get rid of it. This one needs a little bit more polish. Uh, Okay, go out and sell it. And I'm like, how do you do that? He said, I'll get you started. Picked up a phone called a creative director at a competing agency and said, Hey, Steve, I think you should uh, take a look at this young kid's book. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Hands the phone to me. And I'm like, hi. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to meet with you. And I said, okay, when are you available? Mm-hmm. And we set up a time and I went over and I met him and uh, a couple of other connections. I would always ask whoever I met with, is there someone else that you could connect me to? Eventually, within a year, uh, this total shot in the dark got me a job as a copywriter at a very small agency. And then my career took off because I found the place that was right for me. You know, I, I I knew I was facile in the creation of ideas. I knew I was quick on my feet because I had done improv comedy for years. But I didn't know there was a career that fit that skill set until I discovered advertising copywriting. And it's no surprise that ad copywriters and art directors and creative departments are filled with former improvisational comedians because you got to think on your feet, you got to think fast and you got to keep it going. Uh, that's exactly the job description for an advertising creative. <laughs> you know, John Maxwell, as you were sharing, uh, you know, those people who influence you on your journey, uh, one of his books, uh, again, another bo- uh, quote, um, he quoted former minister Benjamin Disraeli. And the quote that was shared was uh, the secret to success in life is for a person to be ready when their time comes. Yeah. And so now, as we talked about your journey, now we'd love to dovetail into the next section, which has to do with your niche. And for, for me, the niche really falls into five categories. Your passions, what do you do that feels purposeful? The patterns are what you do naturally well. Proficiencies, what you've learned to do well over time. And then problem solving. So if we go back up to the top, what, what are your passions or what has been your passions? Uh, what do you do that when you do it, you feel ignited? Uh, it's always on the artistic side of stuff. You know, you can see behind me that I've got guitars on the wall. Guitarist, I'm not yeah. a great guitarist and I'm, you know, I'm not a member of a band, but I love music and I love playing music. And I, I love writing songs and doing a, a little bit of my own recording and stuff like that. So all of those skill sets apply directly to what I do every single day. And yeah. again, I'm not a working musician. But I am a musician when I select music for an ad or a commercial we might be doing. Like uh, one of the things I do when I write a script is I'll walk in with some music samples and say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's the style of the music. So everything I've done there, that passion that you asked me to describe, that passion informs everything I do professionally in my selected career. Hmm. What do you do that feels purposeful? What do you do that when you do it, you feel like I was made for this moment? Well, a lot of people hate advertising because they think it's something that like um, trying to get people to buy things they don't need. I'm not into that at all. Believe me. But the stuff I do is when I when I believe in it, when I believe in the product, connecting that product to the people who can best use it and need it the most. That's a very... uh, very wonderful thing 
So, for example, I work right now with Southeastern Guide Dogs, a nonprofit based in Palmetto, Florida, that actually breeds, trains, and raises guide dogs for the visually impaired, service dogs for veterans with PTSD, emotional mm-hmm. support dogs for uh, people like uh, Gold Star families where they've lost a, a, a parent serving this nation. And I'm like, if I can do anything to find a kid who lost a parent who could use a really great trained dog to help try to fill the void in their life, how wonderful is that? If I can find, awesome. if I can create the same thing f- that allows a veteran to admit that they need help and maybe get a service dog to help them with their PTSD, wow. And especially because it is a guide dog organization, helping visually impaired people get freedom through the four-legged partner that they're paired with. <laughs> that gives, you know, so you're asking what gives me a sense of purpose? How about that? That's massive. I, I love it. I love it. I love how you, you know, one thing I find about experts is that the more and more experts that I interview, just like yourself, uh, there is this common denominator that you, you find a way to fit this, the, the, the square peg into the square hole of your life. Like, so you find what you do well and you connect it with a resource that s- appreciates that thing that you do well right and, and i think that 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 combination of con- co- connecting great resource with great need is what causes great things to happen right and so i appreciate you giving voice to that what do you do as a pattern what do you do naturally well oh i i think i'm a um a successful transfer of enthusiasm you know if, if you know the old <laughs> the old saying is sales is yes. nothing more than the transfer of enthusiasm i All truly right. believe that but i don't Love believe it. it in the slimy salesman mold i believe mm-hmm. it in the i think this is perfect for you and here's why because it's going to do this you know and inspiring people so it's that transfer of enthusiasm that isn't just about sales well, but, but it is about sales because I was thinking you mentioned the word motivational earlier and I'm like, yeah, what is motivation other than sales, which is you are here. You want to be here. I can help you via this transfer of energy and inspiration. And, and here are five things you can do today to start moving up that ladder to where you want to be. Mm. That is part sales, but part motivation. And I I guess I don't see a whole lot of difference, but I can get people very excited about it. And the way I always used to explain it to creative, young creative people at agencies is you have to understand when we show up on a Friday to do a presentation of their new ad campaign, it's like Mm -hmm. the circus came to town for everybody who's going to be in that conference room and they're primed for it because they've been looking at spreadsheets all week. They've been having meetings and all this stuff. And then the circus comes to town and they show shiny, colorful, interesting, fun stuff. And all of a sudden, everybody in that room is like, oh my God, I'm excited about working at this company again. On, (laughs) On Wednesday, I was like, oh, I can't stand this place. And now... I have a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed sense of inspiration, and I am so excited about what we're going to be doing. You can't do that if the person presenting is, well, we've got this campaign, which um, is it's very sound. We've tested it and blah, blah, blah. If, Mm -hmm. If you want an example of motivating inspiration, just watch any of the Steve Jobs introductions of the iPhone or any of the new products. He, you know, and again, he's not for everybody, but, right. but no product or service ever is. But when he gets up on stage or when he got up on stage to introduce the iPhone as not an iPhone, it was a music player, an internet communicator, and a telephone in one thing the world changed (laughs) literally and he he was telling the truth about everything there there was not a single lie from my point of view about anything he said all he did was he staged out the truth in such a way that the 
instant takeaway was, I need one of those things. Mm. You know, can, um, did, and the whole thing is, I already had a phone. I already had an iPod. Right. This whole internet communicator thing, that's new. Tell me more. <laughs> and guess what? Every one of us now has that in our hands, whether you're a Samsung person or, or mm. let's just say Android person or a Mac or a iOS person. Right. Boom. Whole new thing. But he he injected that enthusiasm mm. that he transferred his enthusiasm to all of us. So long story, long winded answer to your question. But I think that that's a, a strength that I have. Yeah. And <clears throat> I was happy to discover that because before that, I'm like, what am I even good at? Hmm. I think we all asked that question, you know, in Dr. David Swartz's book, The Magic of Thinking Big, he says any training program must do three things. It must provide content. That's what to do. Second, it must supply a method. That's how to do it. And third, it must meet the acid test get your results. So when you talk about now what you've learned to do well over time with your proficiency, what do you find that to be? Well, the the results part are the ultimate, as, as you say, the acid test. And I think that that speaks for itself. So um, for myself in my career, again, you know, because one person's creative is another person's meh. You know, it's very, very subjective. And so right. if, if I say I'm really good at something, other people can look right. at my, my portfolio of work and go, eh, not so much. So I don't judge based on that. I'm not a big fan of the, the various, uh, cost, uh, contests. Like every year mm -hmm. there's the Addy Awards, award shows and stuff like that. You enter your best work and maybe it gets someone's attention. Maybe it doesn't. If you are, only basing your success on whether it won an award you are going to lose because mm -hmm. of all the stuff submitted maybe five percent or less are going to be awarded anything if that is your metric you're going to be disappointed yeah. if however your metric is did this actually achieve some type of lift, whether it's a lift in sales, mm -hmm. a lift in awareness, a lift in uh, people approaching your trade show, show, uh, trade show booth? Pardon, let me say yeah. that again. Whether it can give you a, a lift to something like a trade show booth, if that's what the creativity that I injected into the project mm -hmm. was, was, mm -hmm. yeah, we last year at this event, we had 500 people come through our booth. If this year twice as many came in i'm gonna say that's a big win because it's mm -hmm. a demonstrable win it's not mm -hmm. some vanity metric you know it, it it's actual conversions or engagements so that that's what i'm most interested in when it comes to stuff like that it's not about the accolade it's about the metric that both client and you know, creative can agree on this is what matters and this is what we're going to work toward. So let's not get shiny object uh, distracted, if you will. Mm. You know, as you were talking, kind of reminded me of when I bought my first uh, house and um, it was the end of August. I think we were moving in like October or something like that. So first time homeowner, you know, there were two shrubs in the front of the house and one of which looked like it was just completely dead. Right. And so I'm like, first thing, order of business, I'm going to make sure I pull up this thing from out of the ground because it's just like a big twig. So I pulled it up. But the other one I tried to pull up, but it was too rooted into the ground. So one side was pulled up. The other one wasn't. It wasn't until springtime came around the very next year that I realized that what I had pulled up wasn't a dead uh, plant. It was it was knockout roses. But, um, what you know, after, you know, in that season, it looked like it was just some dry twigs. And um, and I missed the opportunity of seeing what that rock knockout rose would have become because I pulled it up too soon. And I almost hear what you're saying. Like, you know, if you just look at what you have as being like almost like dry twigs, it's possible. It may not be your season yet. Right. It may right. not be your season to bloom. 
But if you pull it up, you can, <laughs> you know, it's, it's when you pull it up, you're done, right? But uh, there, there's beauty, I believe, in, in making sure that the environment that you find yourself is, one, conducive to the growth of the seed that you have to offer it. But two, you also recognize that your seed has a, a, an appointed time to bloom. And so, um, you know, I appreciate you sharing that. I do have another question in this section. Uh, what do people come to you to solve or what do you, what do they come to you to solve as a problem in a unique way? A lot of it comes down to, I've got this big complicated thing and mm. I don't know what to focus on when or what's important or not. And the metaphor I use when I talk to clients is when your nose is pressed up to the trunk of the tree, you can see the ants crawling up the bark on that tree, but you can't step back to see the tree, much less the forest. So my value to you is not to be nose up against the tree looking at the ants. It's being back listening, questioning, listening very, very deeply. And you can tell me what you want, but don't be surprised if I come back to you with what I know you need, which is different. Mm. Well, we, uh, for example, um, Super Bowl ads. Super Bowl ads, are they good for uh, moving product that day? No. What are Super Bowl ads best at? They're best at saying, we're a big enough dog that we can buy a Super Bowl ad, mm -hmm. which is a huge message. It's also, and this is true, it's also the way that the muckety mucks at the sea level of whatever company, they get to be in that wonderful suite at the Super Bowl. You buy enough ads and you got that uh, wonderful suite and, <laughs> and you get to brag that you're on the Super Bowl. Right. There back in the day, and a lot of people cite this example, and I'm happy to as well. Master Lock used to spend more or less its entire marketing ad, uh, budget on a single ad on the Super Bowl. And if you're old enough, you'll remember this. It was a Master Lock on a target, you know, like a, a dartboard target or a, a shooting target. Oh, and they, sh they shot it. And they shot it. I remember and the lock yeah. still held together. Yes, I remember that. That was an ad that worked really hard and got them a ton of notoriety or a ton of awareness and sold a lot of locks because people kind of go, um, lock A, which I don't know anything about, lock B, which I don't know anything about, master lock. Oh, I've seen this on the Super Bowl. And that's right. a very strong, I'm going to buy the master lock. Mm. Why? Because they're aware and awareness is one of the main jobs of advertising. They've had demonstrated, and the key word there is demonstration. That was a demonstration ad. How strong are our our locks? We can take a bullet and we won't open. Wow, they've demonstrated their value. Consequently, all of a sudden they're making sales. Mm. And because they did it, they were the only lock manufacturer on the Super Bowl. Mm. They own the Super Bowl when it comes to locks. Mm. So much so that I'm citing this ad that probably last aired 20 years ago. <laughs> and I remember it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so that is what I consider to be a niche in the last section that I have for you are your secrets. Now, the little, uh, little clue that I give you about the secret section is uh, you're speaking to the audience, but I actually would like you to imagine yourself speaking to your younger self. And, and, and so as you, as you start to talk to your younger self, the first question that I will have you, uh, you know, provide information to your younger self is going to be around a question of what one secret would you tell your younger self to help accelerate them from where they are at that moment in that in time to where you are today? Oh, the first one's pretty easy. You are not the smartest person in that room. Whatever <laughs> room you're in, there are people who are smarter at what they know and what mm. they are expert in. And the smartest person in the room is the one that brings out the intelligence and the information and the inspiration out of everybody else in the room. Mm. We've all seen this, right? The master questioners. The, the people who literally, well, for ex uh, let me give you an example, very personal one. The other night I was out to dinner with my wife's 
aunt, so she's my step aunt, or I don't even know what what the relationship is. <laughs> but uh, we were out with close family members and my wife's aunt, who was in from out of town. And when we get together, I kind of shut up because I'm the only male in a uh, at a table with women, and I'm not saying anything bad about women. I love them. But, mm-hmm. you know, they their conversational styles are different. And so I just keep my mouth shut. And I've also learned that I'm a dad of three daughters. So every time I open my, my mouth, eyes roll. So, you know, you just learn. And maybe that's a secret for that I should tell my younger self. Don't feel you always have to talk. Mm. Listen. So anyway, yeah. we're there. And my wife's aunt starts asking me questions about what I do. And... It does not surprise me based on my understanding that she was an investigator for a district attorney for her entire career. But Mm -hmm. she asked me such great questions that nobody else at the table had ever asked about what I do specifically for Southeastern guide dogs and stuff like that, that I know I could see on the faces of everybody else around the table is, wow, I had no idea David was doing that stuff. And by the way, DP stands for David Paul. So they know me as Mm -hmm. David. Um, and what I learned from that was, oh, better questions lead to better answers and better solutions, especially when you float the question out there and shut up and listen. And one of the things in improv is it's not about being funny. It's not about being interesting on stage. It's about listening, 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 listening. Because Mm -hmm. when you listen and you hear someone make a statement and then you add to that statement, when you plus it up, that's when things get interesting. So Mm -hmm. shut up, David. You're not the smartest guy in the room. But the one thing you can do to bring out the smarts in the room is to ask fantastic questions and then listen, 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 listen. Wow. Wow. Powerful. Uh, Last question that I have for you. How do you know when it's time to change course versus staying focused on your goal? You know, I I don't know if I have a good answer to that because you mentioned the the roses that look like dried sticks. Mm. As you're describing that, I'm thinking about, oddly enough, my podcast, Nonfiction Brand. It's uh, this week, episode 191 came out. That means we're well into the fourth year of that podcast. Wow. And every time that I edit it, and I edit it myself every Saturday for Monday's release, every Saturday I'm going, does anyone even listen to this? You know, and I'll look at my metrics, but I'll be, (laughs) it's very much like the dry twigs. Does anyone listen to this? And the answer is, some weeks yeah get really good numbers other ones maybe not so much you know and that's why i don't pay attention to the metrics because if i did it'd be like a a person trying to lose weight constantly standing on a scale trying to see did i lose weight yet it gets depressing Mm. yeah so i have chosen to do kind of what you uh alluded to when it comes to those roses and what you alluded to earlier, which is kind of luck is happens to those who are prepared. Mm. If I didn't have a podcast, yeah. let's say, well, okay. You know, John Krasinski, the guy who played, uh, what's his name on the American version of the office. Yes. Okay. Uh, I forget his name. Tim. Was he Tim? He was Tim in the British office. Anyway, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go on YouTube and you can find him talking about it where he was an actor in New York and he was there for a couple of years and he was doing what actors do. He was waiting tables and he got to the point where he was like, this is just not going to happen for me. And he called up his mom and said, Leah, mom, I think I'm going to move back. Uh, this just isn't happening. Nothing's going to happen. And she said to him, just give it a little bit more time. You know, let's, mm. I don't know how many, maybe give it three more months. Just give it three more wow. months and wow. see what happens. And he went, uh, okay. Later that week, he got the audition for the office. Wow. Yeah. Jim, Jim helped. Yeah. 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 Jim. Exactly. Yeah. And think about that. Had he gone home, he would not have the career he has, which by the way, 
the career he has, he did the office, which is enough to put you in, you know, the, the top rank of uh, actors who've been successful. Mm-hmm. He then leveraged that to do The Quiet Place, a film that was on a whole lot of top 10 lists the year that came out. And mm. and by the way, he cast his wife. But who did he meet? He met, um, God, I can't, a British actress. Here's this corn-fed American kid <laughs> who marries this gorgeous British actress. Em- Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How he... I'm sorry, but she's of a different (laughs) weight class than he is. And he was, you know, 52 pounds dripping wet when it comes to his weight class. So the guy kind of married up. But not only that, he got the opportunities. She starred in The Quiet Place and The Quiet Place 2. He is now considered a top tier director. Maybe not a Martin Mm -hmm. Scorsese yet. Mm -hmm. But had he left and given up a week or that day had he stopped he would not have gone to that audition and gotten the gig and the funny thing i just saw this today on tiktok which by the way i have to pay attention to because i'm a creative director mm-hmm. he's there being interviewed by a guy and he talked about the audition where he was going up for the role of jim Halpern. And he said, yeah, it came down to a bunch of West Coast actors and some New York actors and auditions were happening and all this stuff. And they kept releasing the New York actors, meaning, thanks, guys, you can leave. We aren't going to use you. And it came down to the a bunch of uh, West Coast L.A. actors and him, a New York actor. Hmm. And they called him in. And he said, uh, well, actually, before that happened, um, they came out and said, hey, we're going to go to lunch, uh, but we'll we'll have you in the afternoon. And so he sat there. They went out to lunch. 40 people file out. They go to lunch. They come back with their food. And uh, one of the people sits down next to him and they're just talking. And and he's going uh, or the the guy sits down next to him and says so you you're auditioning for the Jim Halpern thing and he goes yeah yeah and and I hope you guys don't screw it up and he goes what do you mean screw it up he said I'm a huge fan of the British office I mean that thing is so precious to me that mm-hmm. um especially the part of Tim Jim in the mm-hmm. American one mm-hmm. you know it's it, I just hope you guys don't screw it up because I love what the British office was. And, mm. and the guy goes, oh, okay. Yeah, great. Well, thanks. He then uh, gets called in. And the guy he was sitting next to is Greg Daniels, the creator of the American office. Mm. And everybody in the room is laughing, saying, is this the guy who told us not to screw it up? And they're laughing. <clears throat> and he's like, oh my God, I should just leave now. And the, the <laughs> fact is... Everybody in the room shared his exact same passion. Mm. And he Resonance. showed his true self. Yeah. And by the end of that of his audition there, he had the 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 role. And the mm-hmm. interesting thing is he read with uh Jenna who played Pam. Uh and Pam had it became pretty clear that Pam was going to be cast, you know, Jenna was going to be cast as Pam. Uh, and she read with a bunch of people when she read with with him he said she said to him i hope you get it and he said i hope you get it too because they connected so well yeah yeah when they called him in and said you got the part his first question was did you cast jenna as pam Mm -hmm. and guess what jenna's first question after getting the part was? wow did you cast john as jim Wow, wow, because wow. the mesh was there. So what would have happened had John Krasinski pulled up his roses <laughs> when he wanted to? That's it. You know, I love I love I love the this topic of just persistence and resiliency. It reminds me of a quote from Thomas Edison when his in, in his um 
there was a, a story about him by Frank Dreyer and T.C. Martin. Uh, it's called Edison, the life and, and, and the life and, and invention of Thomas Edison. And in there, Mallory, one of Edison's friends, remarks uh, after he's been testing this light bulb like thousands and thousands and thousands of times coming up empty. So his friend Mallory walks into the room at like test number 9000, whatever it was. And he remarks, isn't it a shame that with this tremendous amount of work you have done, you haven't been able to get any results? And so Edison like immediately turns, looks at him and smiles and says, results? He said, man, I've gotten lots of results. I know several thousand things that won't work. <laughs> so, when, when it comes down to being persistent and also resilient, there are going to be times where you, as you're going through this iteration process, you're going to make mistakes. Things aren't going to work, but you just got to stick at it, especially if it's something that you have a passionate about, something that you have an abundant factor that's connected to it, and you can fit that square peg into the square hole. Eventually, things will begin to work for you. I want to appreciate DP. Uh, I want to appreciate DP. Newton for being on our show today and um, it was such a pleasure a lot of wealth and wisdom I love the marketing aspect that you've uh, interweaved and into interwoven into your your career even right now helping other people to discover what they have of value or mining for what they have of value how would they best get in contact with you if they wanted to well there are a couple things one listen to my nonfiction brand podcast because it, it takes on a lot of the stuff we talked about today i i interview a wide variety of people about their i hate to use the word journey because it's overused but it, it's like what they're doing to uh, pro- what i like to say project and protect their personal brands especially in the social media space because for the first time in the history of humankind you can talk to anybody in the world who's online for free via social media so right. the question is not only are you doing it, but how are you doing it? And that's why I love talking to people on that. You can find the Nonfiction Brand Podcast wherever fine podcasts are free. Just look up Nonfiction Brand with D.P. Knuton and you'll find it. The other thing is if uh, I would love, and by the way, I want to send you a copy of this. My book, oh, wow. Nonfiction Brand, Discover, Craft, and Communicate, the completely true, completely you brand you already are. That's available wherever the Jeff Bezos has a warehouse at Amazon.com. Check that out. And if you'd like to contact me directly, uh, the easiest way is nonfictionbrand.com. You can uh, contact me, all my connections there are via social media. And if, uh, if you're looking at any social media channel that has a handle, like an at whatever your name is, it's very easy. At DP Knuton. The hardest part is spelling Knuton. K N U D T E N. Excellent. And for our niche product community, you, you know that um, our mantra has always been if innovative change is an engine, your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. We want to again thank DP for being part of this program today. And we want to thank you for listening, is because you helped to make the difference. Without you, we would just be uh, speaking to ourselves, <laughs> which is fine by me because I enjoy speaking to interested people like DP. But we look forward to having the very next guest next week on our program who can help you on your journey towards success. Just one last commercial break on this if you haven't already gotten your copy of dream octane the seven steps to discover develop and deliver your niche go on to amazon you know purchase your copy and begin your journey again to finding what you have in abundance and not only finding it discovering it but developing it and delivering it to a wider audience your dream is worth it thank you again for tuning in today and we look forward to speaking with you again 